Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, and I got a great show. I'm excited about this because I I say that all the time, but this is like, and it is always true. It is always true. But today's episode is especially cool because we've got Bob Zachmeyer on the podcast. Now, those of you that know him, you're like, yes. Those of you that don't know him, you're going to like, what? Who's that guy? Like, why am I, why is Joe so excited about this? Let me tell you why. Um, because Bob was a guy that I heard on a interview that he did about three years ago with a friend of mine, Sean McCloskey. And I don't remember Zach or Bob, how, uh, Zach, sorry. <laughs> Bob, I don't remember how That's Sean okay. McCloskey. That's a nickname I've had since college. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I don't remember how Sean McCloskey met you, but I think he heard you talk at some event and he was blown away and said, can you, can I interview you? And uh, you said, yes. And I listened to that and I thought, holy cow. And I I went and I immediately bought all your stuff. And then I just devoured it. Most of it. I'm still going through it because you got so much awesome stuff. And then we've just been going back and forth over the last couple of years, trying to get you on the podcast. You've been busy. I've been busy. And then we stopped talking. And then finally, Bob is is driving down his RV on his RV from what Florida to back to Arizona. Is that right, Bob? Yep, from uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida to Tucson, Arizona, twenty two hundred mile trip. <laughs> and he sent me a text. Hey, Joe, I like your podcast. And I was like, I about fell over because Bob Zachmeyer listens to my podcast, you know. And I, I said, Can I get you on the podcast finally? And he said, Yeah, sure, let's do it. So I wanted to interview him, guys, and share with you some of the cool things that he does because I've not met somebody that is more creative on how he or she structures their deals. And I've been thinking a lot more lately about owner financing and notes and what is all that, you know, because a lot of the, you know, most of the deals I've done, almost all of them have been regular wholesaling deals or lease option deals. I've done a few owner financing deals here or there, but I've just had a real interest in this stuff because, and this is why it's so important for us now, the market is changing, it's shifting. And there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. I was just reading on CNBC today in the news. They're predicting that 2020, and this is from the National Association of Realtors. For, so for what's that's worth? <laughs> uh, do you remember, Bob? Right. The National Association of Realtors predicting you know, in 2007 and eight that everything's fine. Nothing's going to happen. Just everybody needs to relax. Right. Um, when when uh, Greenspan came out and said there was irrational exuberance and yeah. Lawrence Yoon, the chief economist, said, oh, no, no, everything is fine. There's no no recession coming. And that yeah. was the biggest miss in his history, probably. I kept somewhere a few years ago, I, I found that original article, like, and it was very important. I mean, a lot of people look to the National Association of Realtors and their chief economists as, as um, you know, having all wisdom and, and uh, these this amazing group of pro- prognosticators or whatever. But they got they could not have gotten it more wrong. It was just embarrassing. Anyway, their latest predictions is actually that 2020 will be a, a very difficult market. They're actually saying that uh, 2020 prices uh, will drop for the first time in uh, since the recession nationwide. 
So we'll see for what that's worth. But my whole point in all of that is when the market is changing and shifting or and even going down, uh, owner financing works in all markets, right? But especially now, Correct. It, when it's, as it's going down, it's going to be more important than ever to understand creative financing, to understand notes, owner financing, stuff like that. And I know no one better than Bob Zachmeyer. Uh, and there's a few other guys. You well, know, thank like you. I, I just also interviewed Eddie Speed. And so, uh, but I mean, this, you guys are in for a treat. So <laughs> having said that real quick, guys, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, I want to ask you to please leave a review and let us know what you think of the show. Go to iTunes, leave a review, subscribe to the show. I really, really appreciate it. One more thing too. If you, I talk about this all the time. I, I got my book, right? It's called REI Secrets, Daily Nuggets of Real Estate Investing Wisdom to Get More Leads and Close More Deals. I think my volume number two, I'm going to have more chapters in there about creative financing and owner financing and notes and stuff like that. Because <laughs> this, is, this is such an important topic. But volume one, it's called REI Secrets. You can get the book for free. Just pay shipping. It's about seven bucks, I think, for shipping and handling. Uh, you get the book for free. It's about an inch thick. Every chapter is designed to be read um, really quickly. It's, each chapter is about a couple pages long. You get the book for free. It's called REI Secrets daily nuggets of real estate investing wisdom to get more leads and close more deals. You go to reisecrets.com. Okay. Go to reisecrets.com to check that out. Mr. Bob, how are you? I am good, Joe. Thank you for having me on. I was, I was blown away that you texted me that you were actually listening to my podcast and I was honored. And I thought, man, this is so cool. You, you've been in the business a long time. You used to be the number one REO broker in Arizona. Is that right? That's that's correct. Yeah, we um, during the recession from 2009 through 2012, we sold 2,000 REO properties. Wow! And Arizona in four years. When you consider Phoenix, especially, is a huge state, huge markets down there. And so, can you talk a little bit about your story? Because you were doing a lot of REOs. You were a traditional listing agent, a broker, and you still you still have your broker broker's license, right? I am a broker. I've actually retired my company. I just got tired of being responsible for other people, but I I was a, a broker. I owned Win3 Realty. Um, uh, it was a mom and pop business. I started with my wife. And during the recession, you know, the only business, our, our prices in, in Arizona fell by 50%. So none of our past clients could afford to sell their home. And the only game in town was REO. And we had started applying and applying and applying and, of course, not getting anywhere. And then I heard about this conference in Dallas, Texas, back in 2007 called uh, – uh, uh, what the heck is <laughs> – I can't believe I forgot. Um, anyway, so largest, there's like 6,000 people that, that come to this event. And it's the biggest REO conference of the year. Yeah, and so I, I bought a suit and I went to the conference. And because nobody in Arizona is hot here, I mean, we don't wear suits when we go to appointments. We wear Hawaiian shirts. But so I bought a suit, went to this conference, and I came home with a, a Freddie Mac account. And I thought, okay, I know how to get accounts now. And I, I just started jumping on a flight. 
And every two weeks, I was on a plane for three years. I, I ended up bringing home 65 different banks that I that I represented for selling the, the REO. And, you know, it's crazy the amount of travel. I racked up a million miles on American Airlines during that time. I was, you know, over two months a year staying in Marriott hotels. And I, it was just, I was a road warrior. Yeah. But you know, I brought that, that back. My wife, that, well, the very, very first uh, uh, conference was in 2007. Okay. And then eight, you know, nine, ten. And then, you know, I went from basically starving to death because none of our clients could sell to, you know, just running 300 listed properties at a time with 28 uh, W-2 employees and 22 real estate agents working for me just to handle the buyer leads. Wow. Wow. So were you making a lot of money during this time? We, well, there's a big difference between gross and net, right? I was grossing like $3.2 million a year in, in commission, but my payroll, just for my W-2 employees, my payroll was 42000 every two weeks. So 84000 a month, almost a million dollars a yep. year. Yeah, that's in the W-2 employees. Don't forget that you have to pay the agents at least 50% of the commission that you earned. And then you have the overhead from running four offices and having a, a payroll and, and people. The, the biggest expense in REO was you know things that a normal real estate agent doesn't do, which is fixing, you know, making all the repairs. I had a, th- a three-person basically construction department. So we would have to go out and meet contractors and get quotes and submit it to the bank for approval. And then, of course, I had to pay for all those things out of pocket. There were times, and Freddie Mac was one of my bigger accounts, and they fixed everything. And there were times that Freddie Mac owed me three hundred thousand dollars in reimbursements, and it's scary, you know. That what if what if they decide not to pay? <laughs> you know, a lot of the the companies actually that became a profit center for them is is no, you uh, they kept shortening the window when you had to turn in your expenses, and no, you turn it in too late, we're not going to pay you back for that new kitchen you installed. Wow. And, and it just got to be ridiculous up until uh, in 2012. That's when you get hit in the face. We sold over 400 years. It was starting to decline, you know, the number of REOs. The market was starting to improve. But we sold over 400 properties. And at the end of the year, I'm managing my books. And my wife went home to visit her family for tex- in Texas for Christmas. And I just said, look, I can't go. I Something's wrong. Either we have somebody embezzling money from us or, or there's just something bad wrong. And the good news was nobody was embezzling. The bad news was it was costing us more to sell the homes than we were making in commission. And after selling 400 homes, we ended up losing $32,000 that year in, in income. And that was, uh, my wife came back from Christmas and, and I said, hey, great news. And nobody's embezzling from us. And, and, uh, but these are the, all the banks that we have to fire them all. Uh, she starts crying. It's like, oh my God, that's the only only business we have is banks. And what are we going to do, you know, for making a living? And I said, you know what? We could have shut down our business, went to Mexico and drank margaritas on the beach for a year and not spent $32,000. So that was where the, you know, something had to replace the REO. And that's how I fell into, into the note space. And I, I noticed that a lot of good people were getting back on their feet and especially those that had had foreclosures and, and short sales, they, they were back making good money again. They had really good down payments, self-employed people, but they were in the penalty box for seven years from, you know, from the foreclosure they had or the short sale. And back then, nobody was lending to self-employed people. So I found this little niche in the market. And at the same time, my mother was in her 80s and my father passed away in 1996. And their financial planner had you know advised them, don't 
put all your uh, any more than a hundred thousand in one bank account because that's what's FDIC and you know insured. So they ended up having about $1.3 million at the time, and they had it separated into 13 different accounts. My mom would make $4,000 a year per account. So she was making 52 grand in interest, and and that was at a a 4% interest rate. And and then um, the market hit, and all of a sudden, the interest rate in 2007 went to 0.2. And her $52,000 a year income dropped to... 2600 a year. So she just basically lost 50 grand of her of her income. And I started, you know, seeing her not take trips that she'd, you know, gone every year down to Branson, Missouri with a bunch of her older lady friends and and uh, you know, I I had a local client self-employed owned several businesses and roofing companies and multiple rental properties and it wasn't that he couldn't get a loan because of bad credit it's he had too many loans and he wanted to buy a home for his daughter to go to the University of Arizona and it was a $300,000 home and he was putting down 100,000 cash and the bank would not lend him $200,000 so I called my mother and I said hey mom why don't you cash in a couple of those those money market accounts you have at the bank and and this guy will pay you 7% interest on your money. And and she says, well, what if he doesn't pay me? And I said, well, then you would get a $300,000 home for 200000 Oh, okay. And, and it didn't really occur to her to sit down with a calculator and run the numbers. So each one of those accounts was paying her $200 a year, you know, sixteen sixty six a month. So basically 33 bucks a month is what she was making on those two accounts that had a total of 200000 when she got her first note payment, she called me and said, I think they made a mistake. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, they sent, me, they sent me a check for $1,330. And I said, yeah, that's, that's right. You're, you're going to get that check every month for the next 30 years. And, and she goes, oh, my gosh, do you have any more of these notes? And oh, that's wow. where my note business started. <laughs> what, my what, own year, mother. what year was that? That yeah. was in uh, 2009. That's a great story. Wow. Helping your mom. Yep. And helping a local client. And it's so cool. The, the retirees are getting massive amounts of money. She was making 35 times more at a 7% interest rate. And the bank was paying her 0.2. So 1% would be five times more than the bank was paying her, but she was getting seven. So it would take her 35 years to get that much money uh, from the bank as what she would make on a note in one year. All right. So you started getting interested in notes. Your REO business was kind of dying down. You went through a point too, didn't you, where you had, a, you know, went from a couple hundred, 300 to just a few of them almost within a few months, right? Oh, in, in six months time. I mean, I went from 300 listed bank properties to under 30. And I went, I had four offices open and all these employees. And I spent a year just running around putting out expense fires. You know, I, I was bleeding money. And, and so we just, you know, downsized next to, uh, I got down to two employees and, and the office building that I owned. And I sold that in 2016. And, and this is, you know, the whole change in our society. Uh, all the brick and mortar is going away. I mean, who's killing it in the insurance business? Geico. They don't have brick and mortar offices. But who's killing it in the retail space? Amazon. Who's killing it in the rental car space? Uber. Uh, you know, it's the largest car company in the world. They have zero cars. And Airbnb is the largest you know, hotel business in the world. They have zero rooms. So, I mean, it's it's all going into the cloud. And, and it just you know made sense that I don't need my brick and mortar office. 
And then if you're going to have a building, you've got to have people to be there to in case somebody walks in. So that office was costing us $4,000 a month in overhead. And I basically sold the building. Uh, we sold it for 350000 had a little bit left on it, like 35000 left. And then with the commissions to the commercial brokers, and we ended up walking away with just under 300000 cash. And I invested that into notes. And what was costing me $4,000 a month is now paying me $3,000 a month. So that was a $7,000 a month turn. And, One of, you know, that's just staggering. <laughs> One of the things I remember you saying was you got to a point, too, where you stopped going to sellers' houses. You would actually tell them you would schedule an appointment for the sellers or your potential clients to come to your office. You remember that? Yes, I started looking at my time. And then if you're familiar with Vilfredo Pareto and Pareto analysis, yeah. it's the 80-20 rule, basically. So anytime you you know, get too busy to get all the stuff done, you look at your schedule and you say, what am I spending the most time on? And, how, and one of the biggest time wasters in real estate is the amount of time you spend getting ready for an appointment, the drive time to get there, the couple hours you spend with the person there and the drive time to get home. I mean, that pretty much eats up a better portion of a day just going on a listing appointment. So I decided, well, I got to find a way, you know, around that. So when I would talk to people on the phone, I'd say, hey, I'm, I'm available to this afternoon at four or tomorrow at 10, which time works better for you? And then they would choose one. And that way they're not picking a time when I have a date night with my wife or anything else. I'm, I'm laying out the time and controlling my time better. And then uh, when it, whenever they would pick the time, I said, great, my address is, and I would just give them the address. And, and you can hear this kind of like hesitation on the other end. It's like, well, don't you need to see my house? And I just say, yeah, of course I'll need to see your home. But all real estate searches begin in a real estate office. And I want you to see your home the way buyers are going to see it before I come and look at it. Does that make sense? And oh my gosh, you have no idea the amount of time I've saved in the last 10 years since I started doing that. I love that. So you're telling them, you're telling them basically all real estate searches start not necessarily in a real estate office, but actually in a, uh, well, they kind of do, but if they're working with a realtor, but on the computer. Right, right. And then, you know, it's kind of funny as this note thing has developed, people that have, that can't get a bank loan, do you believe that they're predisposed to pay a higher price for a home? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You use a good analogy I like. You know, if you're, if you have granite countertops, you, you pay more for a property with granite countertops, right? If you've got beautiful landscaping right. and back, backyard scenery, you pay more for a property for those premium upgrades, right? Well, it's the same with owner financing. Right. It's a premium upgrade, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's the best amenity your home can have right now because the, the banks, almost every bank sells their note at the closing table. And basically, if you don't fit in one of their boxes, because they don't sell them as one-offs, they lump them together. These people all have a 720 credit score. They've been at least two years on their job. And you know they have all this criteria that they bundle up the loans and, and sell them off. And I was just actually uh, reading an article this morning um, that came out from the Federal Housing Finance Agency through... The first six months of this year, the banks sold off 117,466 non-performing loans. And they're not coming as foreclosures anymore. They just, they're, they're going straight to Wall Street. The REO broker is dead. And it makes sense that the banks do that because basically they can sell to Wall Street at 62 cents on the dollar. And everybody's like, well, geez, if you sold it on, on with a local broker, you'd get a hundred cents on the dollar. No, you've got a, uh, the average foreclosure time in the United States is 18 months. And the average carrying cost on a vacant property is 2% a month. 
So right there, you lost 36% of the property's value. Then you, you factor in the cost of the real estate agent and the title company and the foreclosure attorney. And the biggest expense is the staff of the bank that managed all the REOs. And they end up making less than 35 cents on the dollar. They're, they make almost twice as much as selling them off to Wall Street. So that's why it, this whole thing just shifted. And everybody that thinks we're coming to another recession and REO is coming back, if you're a real estate agent listening to this podcast, I mean, you you might as well be non-unicorns and Loch Ness monsters and Bigfoot because it isn't going to happen. Well, who's what is Wall Street doing with these defaulted notes? When the Wall Street buys, well, first of all, there's a whole bunch of um, hedge funds that got into the space like Blackstone went into Phoenix and bought 6,000 homes during the recession. Right. And everybody thought that when the prices recovered, they were going to sell them and make all this money. Well, they didn't sell them. They actually securitized them and took out you know, credit lines against them and sold off securities. And they've been buying more and more and more. So, so the big hedge fund companies are, are buying them. And then they have regional buyers, like somebody that buys in the Northeast, somebody in the Southeast, the mid, you know, Midwest, and then the uh, Pacific Northwest and Southwest. So they have a, a regional buyer that just buys all the notes that they get in this pool the same day. And, and they'll mark them up, you know, like 50 cents on the dollar more than they paid. And so then the regional buyer goes and sells it to either a state buyer or a city buyer. And, and these things can be sold like three times in a week. And uh, each time the, the people are marking them up and, and making a huge profit off of what they paid. And by the time it hits to the local, you know, Tucson buyer, Phoenix buyer, Denver buyer, I mean, the, the places are selling it is still a good deal, like 80, 80 to 90 cents on the dollar. But there's no money in that to flip it anymore. Like there used to be in REO because all these hedge funds have, have peeled off, you know, all the cream and then the... But the, 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 there's still a buyer in there who's late on their payments and is defaulted, right? Yeah, and they're buying a non-performing loan, and then the hedge funds or the end user who buys the note is actually foreclosing on it. That okay. keeps the banks out of the headlines. I mean, that's the Achilles heel of a bank is being national headlines. And you know, we used to get directives right before Thanksgiving that we are not to foreclose on any more properties until after New Year's because they did not want to be in the headlines of a paper kicking a family out over Christmas. Wow. So I okay, mean, they're publicly then, traded companies, and that affects their stock. So if, if a buyer is in a house and they're defaulted, uh, they're still getting evicted or foreclosed, but it's happening from a smaller local investor. Right, and the local investor can actually go in and say, hey, what happened? Can we work with you and let's work this out? What if we restructured your note and stretched it out for more time? And, and you know, there's all kinds of things that you can do. Well, a bank couldn't do that, mainly because of, you know, the federal government having all these regulations about so many protected classes. You could have someone that had a 720 credit score. And in the old days, the local banker in your hometown would say, hey, you're a good borrower and let's just restructure this for you. Well, then another person comes in that has a 480 credit score and they're late on everything and they're horrible. And then, you know, they don't restructure the note for that person because they know it's not going to work. Well, the, you know, the government comes in and says, hey, you gave it to this guy because of this protected class they were in. And the other guy was in the other protected class. And, and therefore, you know, you're discriminating. And, and so the banks took the stance that we're not going to do anything for anybody and we're just going to foreclose. All right. So let's talk about the way you're doing deals today, which I think is so cool. And this is really the main thing I wanted to talk about. Sure. We're talking about notes, right? And I hope nobody is checked out. 
because notes, they sound complicated. They're confusing. And they're like, I have no idea. I don't want to learn something new about notes. But we're talking about buying houses, right? We're talking about flipping houses. We're yep. talking about income from houses. So forget the notes language and don't let that get confusing to you. Because one of the reasons why I love Bob so much is because he really, really does a good job of simplifying it. And we're going to give you some tools and resources here that are free, some videos and stuff that you can look at from Bob that teaches you how this stuff works. All right. So Bob, you know, do you, would you rather, are you in the business of buying notes, you know, or are you creating notes? Well, it's sort of a hybrid model. Well, what do you prefer? Let me just start off. I like to have a hand in the creation. So Dodd-Frank has rules that say how many notes you can create in a year. And basically, if you originate, there's a limit that you can originate three notes a year. In some states, it went to five. So I don't originate any notes. So the analogy I use for this, Joe, is if you are a homeowner, you can sell your own home without a real estate agent, correct? Yes. But if you want to sell your neighbor's home and represent them, you need to have a real estate license, right? Correct. So if you are a homeowner and you want to sell your home and carry the financing, you can do that because you own the property. But if you want to carry the financing on your neighbor's home, you need a loan origination license. So technically, the way that deal works, I love what you said about keeping it simple. When people ask me how it works, I just say it's just like a normal sale, except for instead of using banks, we use people. Oh, that's good. I mean, it doesn't get much easier than that. So then I go to the seller. So let's just say that you want to sell your home and you heard a, you know, a commercial on my radio show or, or, or something and, and you call me and, and you say, I want to sell my house. So I'll come over to your home. And the first question I'll ask is when I sell your home, what are you planning to do with the money? Yep. And then I just zip my lip and listen. Like, oh, well, I'm going to buy another house. I got to pay off my mortgage. I want to pay off my car. I got taxes due. I mean, they've got just a bazillion reasons why they can't carry. And then I say, well, now let me ask you a couple questions. Do you want the real estate process to be slow or fast? Do you want to put your house on the market and have it languish for months? Or would you rather just be done next week? And they're like, oh, I take fast. Okay. Do you want the negotiation? to be hard or easy. Do you want somebody that's coming back after they hit you on the price and they come back and hit you on the inspections and then they hit you on the appraisal and all the way to the closing table, you're fighting, negotiating, or do you just want an offer tonight that you're comfortable with that you go to bed and you're done? And you know, of course, everybody says they want the fast close and the, and the easy negotiation. And then the last question, would you prefer more money or less money? And it's a stupid question. But people say, well, more, of course. And I say, okay, what you've just described is a seller finance transaction. Your home, because of supply and demand, very few sellers are able to, to carry the financing on their home. So there's very few homes out there for the people that don't qualify at the bank. And you could get probably somewhere in the neighborhood of $10,000 um, if you carry the financing. And it just makes sense because when you get your money back, at some later date, five, seven, 30 years from now, it's not going to spend as far. So therefore you need to get more for it upfront. And if you ever go to sell that loan, you may have to discount it. And that's why you need to charge more for it upfront so that you'll have the ability to discount it at a later date if you ever needed to sell. So basically if you did the financing, you could get an extra $10,000 
these buyers are not going to ask you like all the other buyers for 3% in closing costs, which is quite common across the country, because the closing costs when you don't use a bank are just a few hundred dollars. I mean, they can afford to pay it themselves. So right there, you're going to save 3%. And then the repairs, most of the people that buy these properties are contractors, self-employed contractors that can't qualify at the bank. And they can fix that house way cheaper than you can. So they're not going to hit you on a bunch of repairs. And so you're going to save money there. And then also most of our seller finance closings happen in less than two weeks. So instead of a six to eight week close, you're looking at a two week close. So these are all the different ways that you're going to save money. And then I just wait for it. And, you know, they're all excited about getting the more money, but then they, they say, well, Bob, I can't do that. I have a loan. I have, you know, all the reasons. And I just wait for them to, you know, spit out every reason that they have why they can't do it. And then I just say, what if I found somebody else to do the loan loan for you? And basically you will originate it, but they'll buy it from you at the closing table. I mean, how are the loans that your local lender is originating? They're originating in their name and they're selling them at the closing table, right? Mm -hmm. So we're just doing the same thing the banks do. So you have so now. How many can? Oh, that's an interesting. How many question. can I do with Don Frank? Uh, Don Frank, I didn't originate any. I'm buying them from someone else. Could you? Okay. Could you say that last statement again? The question that you asked the seller. Like, so, um, do you do you want more money or less money? Because a buyer, if you finance the home, we could we could sell it for a higher price. We could close on it faster. We would have no seller paid buyer closing costs or concessions, and basically very seldom any repairs. Uh, so, so you're going to make money on all fronts. All you got to do is finance them and then wait for it because 99% of the time, they're going to tell you they can't finance it. And that's where my favorite two words in the universe come up. What if? I mean, what if is so powerful. I mean, remember the HP commercials, what if, what if, what if? Um, uh, so basically, what if you're not making a commitment but you're opening their mind to an opportunity that, that could exist. What if we could just finalize your deal tonight? You could go to bed. Your home is sold. There's no more people coming in your home. No more making the bed, picking up toys, you know, having to come home to other people's cars in your driveway. None of that stuff. You have one decision left after tonight, and that is what day do you want your check? Nine out of ten people are going to take that deal. Well, well not quite yet. What they're going to what they're going to say is yeah, but for how much? Because they're used to all the wholesalers coming in offering them sixty five cents on the dollar. Sure. And so then that's where we pull out the like, what if you sold your home in a traditional fashion? You would have X percent for commission. You would have buyer closing costs. Um, they're going to more than likely eighty percent of the people in these lower uh, priced homes, which is what I focus on. What what if we don't have any of that, the, no buyer closing costs, no repairs. If you did a traditional sale, you'd have 2% in repairs, 3% in buyer closing costs, 1% for your closing costs, and then whatever the commission is in, typical in your market or whatever you negotiate with your agent. So I don't want to price fix here. but And then you, you're probably going to lose 10% of the value of your home just in selling costs. And then the home inspector comes. I haven't found a home inspector yet that says, hey, nice house, you should get it, right? <laughs> Even on brand new construction. So, so I always tell people, count on 2% for um, the inspection repairs. So now you're sitting at 88 cents on the dollar. That is on a full price MLS offer. You would get 88 cents on the dollar. What if 
you could go to bed at night with a contract for 90 cents on the dollar. And there were no more showings and no more hassle. And, and you pick your own date. Instead of having a buyer come in and, and say, I want to pay this much money. This is the list of stuff I want you to fix. And this is the day I want you out. That's the way a normal transaction works. What if, if you just went to bed and you decide, you're, you know, we're in, a, we're in a, a seller's market. Why are you letting the buyer dictate the terms? Yeah, people like that, like take control of your sale instead of sitting in limbo wondering when and if it's going to sell and for how much. You could go to bed tonight with a net sheet and telling you what you're going to walk away with. And now all you got to do is plan instead of getting stuck into this little two-week window of finding a house somewhere that may or may not you know, fit your criteria and certainly will not be your dream home. What if you can go out several months and, and find the home you really want? And I can close as fast as a title company can. So fastest close with a title company I've ever done is I walked through the house at 8 o'clock in the morning and I owned it at 3 in the afternoon. All right. So let's talk about this then. How can you get sellers 90 cents on the dollar? And how, what are the steps involved with that? Okay. So first I want to point out a major difference between me and the wholesalers. Wholesalers and, and like Homevestors, the largest wholesale company in the United States, they buy what kind of houses? What's their slogan? Ugly houses. Ugly houses. I want pretty houses. So what do those people do when they get to the nicest house on the block that needs absolutely no repairs? I mean, most of the wholesalers are going to no-bid it because they don't want to get shot, you know, offering this person 65 cents on the dollar when they're the nicest house on the street. It's not going to work. I mean, yeah, I say, you know what, refer those people over to me because I can get them more than they would make on a traditional real estate sale. Right, when you so have a faster close on your terms, let's just look at a wholesale model. If you were going to be a flipper and buy that home at 65 cents on the dollar, what do you think you're going to have in acquisition costs? 5%? I mean, closing costs usually, yep. So, so 5% in acquisition. How about disposition? You got to pay a, a real estate you know, fee typically. Yeah. And, and, um, and your own closing costs again, unless you did a hold open policy and then the repairs, you're going to hit for inspection repairs. So, I mean, normally it's not uncommon to spend 10%, you know, selling a house with everything, even though you just renovated it all, they're always going to find something. So, and then what about the repairs themselves? What percent of the purchase price do you think is average for a flip? Probably 10, 15, 10 to 20. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now when you bought it at 65 cents on the dollar, how much did you really make? If it costs 10% to sell, 5% to buy, right there, that takes you from 65 to 80. If you've got 10 to 15% in repairs, at best, you're going to make a 5% profit. And every month that you own that house, you're bleeding out 1% in carrying costs. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a tight model at 65 cents on the dollar. Well, what if I didn't need to do any repairs? And what if I didn't need to, to have, I never took title to it? I was just the lender on it instead of the owner of it. Now I, I just avoided two sets of closing costs and all of the repairs by selling it to someone. And I'll give you an example. We had a home that came in and there's not a bank under the sun that would have lent on this property because it, it basically had a signs of a roof leak. It had a home with an addition with um, a garage and there was not one grit of shingle left on any of it. Yeah. And, you know, we were getting bids of $12,000 to replace the three roofs. And so we just went out to Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, and we marketed for roofers to shoot us a quote to roof this house. And when the bids would come in, we'd say, no, that's way more than I want to pay. Hey, you wouldn't want to buy this house, would you? 
And the seventh roofer said, yeah, this would be perfect for my dad. So here was the, the deal. You put the roof on and bring us five grand down and we'll carry the paper for, for 30 years. So we avoided all of the upfront cost. That weekend, my business partner drove by. There were 16 people working on those roofs and grandpa got a, a new house. I mean, isn't that a great story? I mean, it's yeah. just, so we were able to sell it for market value because we found someone that looks at a roofing job as something they just do every day and they don't like, oh my God, it's 12,000 for a roof. They're like, I can get the materials for probably 3,500 and this is a smoking good deal. Okay, so um, you, you were saying you get the seller 90 cents on the dollar. Yep. So structure how that deal works. You also said earlier something about the seller will create the note and you'll bring a buyer for the note. They'll, they'll buy the note from them or something like that. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, you're familiar with, you know, in most major markets in the country, there's people that are running the guaranteed sale program. You know, if you buy a home from me, I'll buy yours or something. Yes, I've always wondered how. So, so basically, I, I, I do a, well, their contract has one inch of text that shows what they're going to do and, and 10 inches why they're not going to do it. So I, I only buy yellow houses on Tuesdays. You know, I, I mean, it's just kind of, most people are scared to death of having to buy that house. And if they do it, they're paying, you know, wholesale prices. And, and the difference between me is, is I say, look, I actually want the house because I want to put a note on it. And if, if you need the money before I found a buyer, I will buy it myself. Okay. And it's kind of funny, you know, a lot of these homes in these neighborhoods have bidding wars because they're so short of supply. I've got people tripping over themselves, selling me their houses at 90 cents on the dollar because they net more money on my sale. And I'm the easy button when it comes to closing. I close on the day they want the money. All right. So can we talk about how you actually do it? How does the process work? So you can use a, an example deal. I don't know what, $200,000 or $100,000? Yeah, let's just for this call, since it's, you know, people listening and when they're jogging and driving, and uh, let's just use 100000 even though it's, we don't have any of those left. We used to. So let's just say that the MLS value of that home is 100. I could sell that house in my sleep if I financed it for 115. And we don't have any upfront fees. There's no points or anything on the loan. How much do people pay banks when when they they get a loan? I mean, everybody says count on 3%. Your closing costs are basically half of escrow, half of title, and the origination fee from the servicer, which is usually 100 or $200. And that's the total total cost. So... um, Basically, they would write an offer of one fifteen. They would put a minimum of fifteen thousand dollars cash down because so I don't ever want them to be upside down in that you're, house. You're bringing a buyer. Now, first of all, let me. Are you doing this as a realtor or as an investor for your own deals? I I do both. I never do both at the same time. So if I am a participant in the deal. I will not be the real estate agent because I have a conflict of interest. You know, the minute I start working for me, I can't represent someone else. Right. So let's, let's approach um, this deal as a, as you're an investor for yourself. Correct. Okay. So um, that person is buying a home for 115,000, putting down 15, that leaves 100,000 to be financed. Right. Yeah. So most of my lenders are not, you know, investors, investors are what I call greedy pigs. And, you know, they spend money to educate themselves and very few people get excited and very few investors get excited about a six or 7% interest rate. But someone that's earning 0.2 at the bank is highly excited over a six or 7% interest rate. Yeah. 
So basically, now we have $100,000 worth of financing necessary. But remember that the, the MLS market value of that home was 100000 and we have $100,000 of financing. That, how secure is that for a retired person who doesn't have the ability to earn money anymore in their life? That's not, that's not secure at all. Right. So then basically what I will do is say, you know what? I really don't want you to be at risk, so let's break the loan into two pieces. Instead of, uh, instead of you taking on a $100,000 loan, why don't you just take on 70 or 75? Depends on the deal and what the value is. But so now you are in a first position loan at $70,000, and I will take the second position loan behind you for $30,000. Yep. So the buyer's paying one fifteen, bringing in 15000 cash. And the hundred that's left over for loans is broken into a seventy thousand dollar first and a and a thirty thousand dollar second. Yes. So now, how much did the seller accept? They they were all excited to get ninety thousand because that net was more than they would make on you know selling it a traditional way. Right. So so I need ninety. The buyer brought in fifteen of the ninety, and the retiree brought in seventy. So the seller, right? the seller needed 90. You've got 70 yep. from the first private investor. Yep. And you got 15 from the buyer. Right, down payment. Right. From so that's 85. Buyer. 85, good. So I'm 5,000 short, right? Yeah. Basically, I can bring in $5,000 and I own a $30,000 mortgage. So you bring in 5K of your own money then. 5K yep. to buy a $30,000 second mortgage. So you're creating a second mortgage, a note. Correct. Right. Okay, good. So I'm writing these numbers down because I'm hoping everybody else is following along. What, uh, what are the interest rates in that first position $70,000 note? Is the um, Typically, we do between 6 and 7%. Risk and reward go hand in hand. How many other investments can you think of, Joe, that could lose 30% of their value and you still are whole? Not very many. None. To earn that much, a 7% rate of return on a 70% LTV loan is very attractive to retired people. And a hundred, you know, just for easy math, $100,000 in a bank would pay $200 a year, 0.2%, right? So that's $16.66 a month. The same hundred thousand in a seven percent note would pay six hundred and sixty-five dollars a month instead of sixteen dollars a month. Yeah. So, hey, could you use an extra six fifty a month? I mean, who's going to say no to that? So, what are the terms to the buyer that you're selling this? You know, the, you're selling it for one hundred and fifteen thousand. They put down fifteen grand. What? What yep. are the terms? Like, how? What interest are they paying? Typically, um, seven, six to seven on the first, and depending upon risk. When I, I said I go 70 to 75, I'll never let one of my retirees go higher than 75%. I just don't want them being at risk. If they're at 75%, then they would get seven. If they're at 70%, they might get six and a half or six. Right, okay. But it's a 30-year fixed rate loan with no balloon, no upfront fees, no prepayment penalty. We encourage the buyers to pay it off early. If they can fix their credit and go in and, and uh, refinance and get something under four, you know, power on. That'd be great. Yep. And then, you know, I can always tell when a note has been paid off because I'm the first phone call that retiree is making. 
and they don't want to go back to Wells Fargo and make their 0.2. Yeah. They, <laughs> you know, they say, hey, Bob, I need another note. This one paid off early. So what's the... And there's no fee. I mean, I'm, I'm not a lender. I'm not a licensed lender, so I, I can't charge any fees. Basically, this either drives my real estate business or my second note business, Not, but I don't make any fee or anything from that retired person. So then the... Uh, so you really, you're just putting... That that private investor, that retiree, um, you're not you're not the you're not the borrower on that note. The the buyer is the end buyer is correct. So the, the end buyer is the borrower. Yeah. The, the seller originated the note, and because they had a note of their own that they had to pay off and an underlying mortgage, they couldn't carry the note. I always give that homeowner the opportunity. You should carry this. You will make more money you'll walk away with more money than you would gross on a traditional sale right and and if that was the case and they carried it themselves then i would just be paid as a real estate agent not as an investor so but I if see, they don't want to carry it themselves that's why you brought that up earlier because if the seller originates the note you get paid then as a broker correct All right okay but um, i want to go back to the uh, it sounds like i'm you know you're paying someone 90000 for a $100,000 home, and you're cheating that seller. And the first thing is, how much commission did they pay? None. So right there is whatever, 5 to 7 typically uh, percent in your pocket. And then how, how much of the buyer's closing cost did you pay? None. There's another 3% in your pocket. How much of the uh, repairs that the home inspector would find did you pay? It's very seldom that one of these uh, contractors asks for any repairs because they got a bunch of friends that can do it on the weekend for a case of beer. Yep, yep. So no commissions, no repairs, no inspections, no buyers. Right, so, uh, you know, it kind of defeats, you know, logic. But wait a minute. I can get an offer of 90 that nets me more money than an offer of 100. Yeah, exactly. And there's also no carrying costs. I mean, compared to like, on average, it takes three, four months to sell a house. It doesn't happen here. Right. Right. Normally, I mean, I literally have a waiting list of, of people that want a house. And, you know, if you're a real estate agent, it's really tough right now to be a buyer's agent because there's so little inventory and everything that comes up for sale, there's five offers on the first day. And, and people are fighting over these houses and, and bidding the prices up. Um, when you're doing financing and, and you're offering someone the opportunity to to be a homeowner that no one else will let them have, their payment will be cheaper than rent, usually between $100 to $200 a month, cheaper than what they're currently paying in rent. Total, out-the-door cost. So, I mean, you're helping these buyers actually save money. Now, instead of the landlord getting all the appreciation that's going on, they get the appreciation. They have forced appreciation through paying the principal down on the note. They're saving money on the rent every month, and depending upon their tax situation, they may or may not be getting a tax deduction for the mortgage interest and the property tax. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So okay. the buyer is excited. They're getting a house for less money and they own it and they get all those things. The seller also got more money. I mean, buyers and sellers are naturally opposed to one another. If the, you know, Buyers want the lowest price, sellers want the highest price. This situation actually lets them both get a better deal than they would get in a traditional sale. Right. And we're throwing in the neighbors. You think the neighbors are happy that we just sold this house for one fifteen? Yeah. 
What did that just do to their property value? Raised it up. Okay, and, so let's and, talk. Uh, do you think maybe if you're a real estate agent, you should be sending out postcards congratulating them on the new high price you just got for them? Oh, yeah. For sure. Talk about the second loan then. What's the interest rate on that? Um, typically one point higher, um, but sometimes the same. I, I just did a deal this morning where the buyers put down $80,000 on a $220,000 home. Yeah. And this is way, I mean, it's 220. So our minimum down is either going to be the premium or personally, I don't deal with people on a deeded sale for less than 10% down. So the, at minimum, they're going to have $22,000 down. This guy has been on his job 21 years. He's kind of a, does some roadie kind of work for a major rock band. And he makes, he's been with them 21 years. And he has an 807 credit report but they only tour a few months out of the year. So when you go to the bank, they say, hey, send us the last two months of bank statements and, and, and uh, pay stubs. And it's like, uh, what pay stubs, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he put down $80,000. I mean, I would lay awake at night hoping this guy didn't pay me back, right? You got a $220,000 home. I wouldn't wish ill will on anybody, but basically you needed a $140,000 loan. So we um, could have done just a first on that note, but I, again, I'm not... This one came through my personal channels, not real estate advertising, and it was just kind of a referral from a, from a friend. And so that one I wanted to take personally into my IRA, you know, preferably a Roth IRA where you get you know that kind of a discount with without ever any income tax because you already paid tax on the account. Sure. The lender brought in one twenty two five, the, the retiree on a first position loan. He got seven percent on a 30-year fixed-rate loan, and that is a payment of $815 a month. That's what you're collecting? No, the loan is professionally serviced by the local title company. I use Stewart Title. They service the note, and they collect the payments. They, they withhold for property tax and insurance, and then they pay the first and they pay the second. And the uh, servicing fee from here is $10 for the first note and $5 for the second and $10 for the escrowing. So okay. a total of 25 bucks, buyer pays the $25. That's part of their payment. So, so anyway, the, this loan was $17,500. And the, this is an arrangement I made with the seller. It's like, look, if I can bring you someone that would pay a higher price than what you would sell it for. And this is a flipper guy that is going to do quite a bit of business. So I said, let's make this a partnership that we both win. So, Whatever the, the premium is, we will both get a portion of that as part of our of our profit. You get it as a as a paper profit on your flip property. I get it as a discount on my note. And then the you know he's not paying any real estate commission either, so you can discount the note by what they would have paid for commission, or a fraction of that. And and that's so now you can buy into a note that. You know, this $17,500 note basically required a check for $3,100. Okay. Is that a pretty good investment? Yes, yes. Well, all right, so this example deal we were talking about, the $100,000 house, the, yeah, yeah. you created a $30,000 second note in second position. The seller, the buyer yeah. is paying 7 to 8% on that. By the way, the total payment that the buyer is paying is usually less than rent, isn't it? Yeah, at least, like I say, between 100 and 200 less than rent. And that includes the taxes, the insurance, 
the debt service and the servicing fee total out the door is less than rent. Yeah. So then what is the, what would the payment on that $30,000 note be? Um, the payment on that at 8% is 22013 a month, $220.13. Okay. And, and I'll tell you, Joe, I've got a bunch of like that. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 10 years. And I just had one last summer pay off, and it was to the letter 60 months that I'd held it. So in five years, which national average five to seven years of holding a house, that loan had paid $220 a month for 60 months. So I received in payments $13,200. And during that 60 payments, $1,481 had been paid off toward principal. Well, okay, let's just... So now when the guy goes to... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, looking at this, if you're getting 220 a month times 12, yep, you're getting $2,640 in the first year Yes. on just interest payments, right? And, Correct. And is it, but by the way, is that second note, is that also amortized over 30 years? Yes, with no prepayment, no upfront fees, no, no points or anything like that. All right. And so you put $5,000 into that. So you just made 53% on your money. Correct. That's insane. But, but that's what I'm making in interest. What about the principal? I, I made 600% the day I closed it. So if you spread that out over a five-year payoff, that 600% is 120% a year. Because, you know, at the end, I've already collected 13200 I paid five grand for the note. So it takes me 22 months to get my money back. If I'm the real estate agent on that transaction, basically I get the equivalent of my commission every 14 months for the next 30 years. For any real estate agent listening, that should just like rock your socks. I mean, it's like, holy crap. How many houses have you sold? And how would you like it that every 14 months you got the same commission for something you did last year and the year before and the year before? Uh-huh. So then I'm just looking here then the, the money in this, because now instead of being a landlord, right, and buying a house with your own financing or your own cash, yep. you're now being the bank and you're creating a second loan, uh, getting, getting 220 something dollars in cash flow without any of the hassles and headaches. Am I looking at that right? Or, or property tax or property management or repairs or maintenance or insurance or any of the phone calls or vacancy, the biggest, you know, the vacancy thief. You know, I, I basically say instead of being a landlord, you become a lean lord. <laughs> lean lord. I've never heard that before. Lean lord. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. All right. So um, how, like, how many of these deals are you doing? Uh, at least one a week. One a week. Because here, because I want you guys to see what the, the, the power of this is. And, and hopefully it didn't take us too long to get there. You're basically giving the sellers 90 cents on the dollar. And, you, and you're, you're not, right, they're not. Which is more than they would net. I want to point out it's more than they would net on a traditional sale. Exactly. And you're not asking them to carry back any financing. No, you're giving well, them. I'm always asking them. They, they decline. I always yes. give them the first opportunity. 
Right. They, they, you, you, cause they're making more money that way, but they usually will say, no, they want all their money. And a lot of times, by the way, don't these, um, sellers sometimes become their own, your, your, your next private lenders too, don't they? Exactly. Because now they, they just got a bunch of capital and they're like, look, I can't carry the whole note, but I like this idea. Do you have any, any use for, you know, 50,000 or, you know, whatever they have. And it's like, yeah, we can, we can make that work. So this is really, really cool. Like, you know, you may give them 90K maybe, and then they could be, well, never mind. I was going to, I was confusing you with something. Bob, this is, might be one of the longest podcasts I've, I've done in a really, really long time ever. <laughs> and uh, this has been so good. We might have to break this up into two parts. 